Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Emily, how are you today? Hello, Michelle. It is great to be back in studio. It's been a little while just, for just us. Just a little bit, you know, you know? that's all. Um, recording, I mean, our our episodes are dropping every Friday, but uh, right. you know, sometimes But you, you were on vacation and all kinds of, yeah. I had, great a, I had a wonderful time, too, um, traveling around Europe with my daughter. Uh, it was, uh, you know, one of those... Uh, you would say once in a lifetime events, but I hope that it's not the only time. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe just sort of you know like pave the way, and uh, and it was it was just wonderful. But it's great to be back here in the studio with you. I totally missed yeah. conver- our conversations and drinking wine. My my liver feels much better though, <laughs> um, and it was thankful for for the break. Wait but- a minute, so you didn't partake in wine during your whole vacation? Well, it was more of a medicinal factor on okay. my vacation. Uh, I tried to, but you know, when you are walking and, and going out there and being a tourist and seeing things, you kind of are tired at the end of the day. Mm, However, right. honestly, though, I, I have to say I did I did have a couple bottles of wine with my hosts in London. I had great Airbnb hosts, um, Greg and Nej. Maybe they're going to listen to the podcast. And uh, we split a bottle of wine every night when we would come. I would come home, and we had wonderful conversations. Oh, sounds Absolutely like a good fantastic. reason to go back. I I think um, we should go. Well, you know that sounds like <laughs> a good plan. Um, I that requires me to be like share that those people with you. I'm going to work on it, you know? Wow. They were that special. It was, oh that, was such a special connection, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm glad okay. to be back. And you've, you coped pretty well when yeah, I was gone. I managed, you didn't even notice I was I gone. Managed, you right? know, I did a few things. Yeah. No, I, of course I knew you were <laughs> gone. For one, our tradition of going, doing our tastings at the wine merchant every weekend was, you know. You're by yourself. We, we, yeah. I missed you during yeah. that. But I still tasted wine. Still had a great time. Didn't you go on a trip with Denise? Oh my gosh, that's right. We went to Nashville. Our producer, Denise. Um, yeah, we went to celebrate a friend of hers' birthday, 40th okay. birthday celebration. And yeah, had all kinds of decadent fun. And then so. you went to a wedding. That's right. See? Yeah, too. So I'm so glad you can remember my yeah, month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what you did while I was me, gone. Right. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't mean I was talking to you on social media or anything like that because I was like a different time zone. <laughs> yeah, my good friends, um, Dan and Lenora, got married. Dan has been a friend of mine since high school, freshman year in high school. And then Lenora and I met here in St. Louis. And then when she moved to Peoria, I introduced her to all of my favorite people, including Dan. And now they are married. Wow. Congratulations Isn't that wonderful? to them. I I know. I feel so accomplished in yeah. their marriage. Yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, you know, today we have um, joining us on our episode is Dr. Linda Weiner. I know. I'm so excited Hello. to see you, Hello. Linda. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Clearly Speaking the Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Here I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We uh, we did meet uh, Linda uh, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. We had uh, asked um, over among, wine among friends, like we were looking for somebody. 
with a particular aspect. And um, Dr. Becky Lynn said, I know just the person mm-hmm. to fulfill that. Connected us with Dr. Uh, Dr. Weiner here. And um, is it okay if we call you Linda Please on the do. show tonight? Please do. Um, Linda and we met at 33 Wine Bar. Yeah. Had a fabulous yeah. bottle great of wine. wine. And, and great fellowship, sistership. Yeah. That's right. And That's Linda right. and I, we've actually met uh-huh. once prior. Yes, um, yes. We have a, a, we mutual, a friend, mutual friend, a, an illustrator mm-hmm. of your, your book is a mm-hmm. friend of mine. Yes, so. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh-huh. wonderful to see you once again. Yes, last time I saw you, you were in a... Uh, cheerleader costume. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, so just another tails. normal Saturday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't our night on the That was memorable. Let's say. Oh, was memorable that when you with Karen? Yeah. Okay, because I'm yeah. like, oh. Well, we, we were uh, cheerleading a uh, kickball game. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise yeah. me. Right. That yeah. doesn't surprise me. They know how to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I made the pom-poms for that, uh, oh, good. that day, too. That was special. Was that was a special. Special touch. It would have been inauthentic without that. Right. Uh-huh. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so I guess before we dive into our conversation with Doc, uh, with Linda here, uh, what are we drinking? Oh my gosh! It looks beautiful in the glass, and I've been it waiting. Does look very pretty. Yes, the the restraint you have shown. Well, you know, is it, remarkable. Yeah. Um, we are drinking a Pinot Noir uh, made, uh, made by Ron Rubin. It's Russian River Valley which is um, in Sonoma Valley. Russian River is a great region for Pinot Noir. Um, This vintage is 2016, came highly recommended from our friends at the Wine Merchant. I gave it just a quick little sniff and taste before we started. I'm really looking forward to revisiting it here. Right right out of the Mm. gate on the nose, I'm getting some earth, even some nutmeg, some cherry and strawberry, some spice. On the palate, I get a lot of that with a little bit more um, kind of some of the like cranberries, some dark fruit, some vanilla. Um, I think as as we drink this, it's going to blossom mm-hmm. even more. I look forward to see what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. What do you ladies think? Well, it's um, it's probably doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing by making my mouth salivate. Mm-hmm. It's a little, I guess, dry. I suppose um, definitely. Yeah, baby, this is one that you would do really well with food. Mm-hmm. Possibly, I think some Jesus would um, be nice with this. Did you say Jesus would be nice? With <laughs> I this? mean, isn't Jesus always nice with wine? I mean, he turns water into wine after well, all. Well, that's what his Instagram says. I'm not so sure he does it, but you know, those influencers. Uh, uh, Jesus and cheeses would be nice with this one. Cheeses, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think so would be something to eat with it. Um, I am uh, trying to, um, I mean, I think I will like to see how this uh, opens up well, some more. Yeah. Um, it's right out of the gate. It's not something that I'm going, oh my God, this is I need fantastic a lot more of it. and I can't wait to drink more of it. Mm. So, folks, note to self, if you have me over for wine and you don't want me to drink all of your wine, <laughs> this is a good one. Ron Rubin Pinot Noir right at the beginning of the night, and I won't hang around too long. <laughs> what do you think about it? I think Earthy describes it very well. You know, has uh, it makes the bottom of your tongue and the back shrink in a way. Uh, it's, I guess that would have the alcohol content, but it leaves an earthy taste on my mm-hmm. tongue so I, I agree would, i would say earthy i was looking for the strawberries i was looking for mm-hmm. the vanilla but mm-hmm. i don't have a palate 
that you do, but what not, not the, many the of thing us that do. Leads, <laughs> right. <laughs> I say this is her perfect job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess if this were a if this were a panty right now, um, and uh, possibly we might have to come back and revisit later. You know, as we as we talk and maybe let it open up a little bit more because I'm afraid that right now if I were to give it a panty, that um, that it's just going to be. Like it's, it's it's like a laundry day panty right now, one that you as, really don't want to wear. It's one of those maybe that you like found at the bottom of your drawer and you went, Oh <laughs> I still have I these. still have that <laughs> and it's like you know, a little tattered and torn a little bit, okay. you know, and not really comfortable anymore. <laughs> and that may not be you know, that <laughs> might not really accurately reflect this wine given time. Time to turn those panties into a polishing rag. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, that's another that's episode. Yeah, that's Emily the does whole that. Thing. Emily does that with her pan- her her. I would say panties she doesn't want anymore. Uh-huh. I, I don't want to call them used panties. <laughs> um, pre pre owned, pre <laughs> pre tested, yeah. and uh, yeah, better better for silk uh, mm-hmm. or silver polishing than yes, for bum maybe. covering. So <laughs> that's right. So that's yeah. So that's kind of where I am. Mm-hmm. I'm hovering on a, a pair of panties from the bottom of the panty drawer. Of the drawer. Okay. Um, but in we'll revisit. We'll it. revisit it for uh, sure. Maybe as we get closer to the end of the bottle and okay. have drank more. Fair enough. I, might, right. I yeah. might just love it. it grow on Much you. like, you know, mm-hmm. dating, I'll it, right? I'll leave it open mm-hmm. so it makes yes. sure to get some air. Right. Good. Normally right. do that. Yeah. So, so you just got back, Linda, from a trip yes. yourself. You were in Mexico. Yes, indeed. Was Mexico. this work or um, leisure, a little bit of both? It was a little bit of both. I uh, spoke at a conference of uh, sexual health professionals, mm-hmm. uh, International Society, uh, in Mexico City, and uh, then toured Mexico City for a few days with some neighbors from my neighborhood that were always wanting to go, and we saw the pyramids, and oh, we nice. saw the the uh, Museum of Anthropology, and mm. we had incredible food. Was this your first visit to Mexico? Yes. Okay. Uh, I've never been. And it's the, the last on the list of my fifth grade uh, being in awe of ancient cultures, Aztec, Mayan, and yeah. Inca. And this was the last, uh, you know, of those of that trilogy that I was see. able to be on their soil. So oh, it was very fantastic. special. So yeah. when, when did you do the other ones? Uh, so I went from Mexico City on a mission uh, uh, to see San Miguel de Allende, which I have heard about how magical this place is for 20 years. So I was so close, mm. four hours by bus or one plane and two hours by bus. So what and did so you choose? I chose the plane and okay. the two hours. <laughs> what are you thinking? Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, you're there for the experience, you know, four hours by bus yeah. in Mexico yeah. would be an experience, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. They're air conditioned and very okay. tourist friendly, okay. and luxury buses, as a matter of fact. Okay. But, you know, it's, I would have seen the, some of the countryside. But I only had four days, so yeah. I was mm. wanting to get there. So I went to this magical place, San, uh, San Miguel de Allende, where it's an old colonial town and cobblestone streets and historic buildings and pyramids. And uh, what was so incredible was listening in the morning to the sound of birds, to the sound of church bells, mm. to the sound of insects. Really, not a helicopter, not a siren. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, you just don't realize. 
yeah. how magical it can mm-hmm. be with birds and church bells. and That are people that, yes. that still live that way without yes. all of this constant disruption. Busy, busy, and, busy. Right. Alarms going off to wake them. They, or the they, ambulance going down the exactly. highway. Yeah. yeah. Shootings. No, no, the fireworks. That was fireworks. Right. Of course it was yeah. fireworks. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it was it was magical, and uh, uh, I spent four days there touring around there, and home oh, nice. I came. Mm-hmm. Well, can you tell me the conference that you were at? What was the goal of the conference? Is it education for people in yes. your industry? Yes. Uh-huh. It's uh, where people internationally come together that are in the sexology and sexual health fields mm-hmm. and exchange information about research and new techniques for this or that. Or What was your topic? Uh, sensate focus, which is uh, touching... Uh, experience that uh, couples who are sexually alienated or have a sexual difficulty, it's sort of the foundation of sex therapy, this touch uh, called sensate focus. Mm-hmm. So I spoke about that. This, which is, is, this is what your book is on. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, my specialty, the book is called mm-hmm. Sensate Focus, uh, The Illustrated Manual. And what was uh, uh, great about it is that it's the first time how you actually do sensate focus was written down, and then how you vary it for different uh, sexual difficulties was written down. And then added to that was all the additional ways that uh, later therapists modified it for special populations, Mm. how you modify it for gay men, how you modify it for uh, people who have been sexually traumatized. So Mm -hmm. uh, there are all these uh, modifications, and no one pulled them together until my colleague and I, Constance Avery Clark, uh, pulled it together and committed it to writing and there it wow. is so that that is a thrill to have yeah done that. quite an accomplishment mm-hmm. yes did you learn anything at the conference I did uh, you know sometimes you think there's nothing I'm going to learn mm-hmm. here but I remember uh, there was a research paper on mat rate uh, I'm sorry rat mating behavior mm. and I thought oh this is going to be a snoozer. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. You know, you're going to a sexual a sexuality uh-huh. conference uh-huh. for humans, but we're uh-huh. going to show you how rats well, do it first. Well, yes, but it was I mean, very interesting. I might interesting. feel that way in the morning, okay. but I would hate to like actually have you know that to be like the focus. Uh-huh. But go ahead. Oh, this you know, is, I'm a smartass. Yes, you're smartass. That's good. You liven things up. So here's the deal. The female rat uh, hangs out in like a little cubby and she jumps out and the male rat messes around with her and she with him. And then he tries to mount her, but she's not ready. So she jumps back into her cubby. Just like real life. And then she comes back and messes around again and jumps back and forth until she's aroused enough that she wants to have intromission. And I thought, oh, my God, there's so many of my heterosexual male husbands that need to hear this. Right. And they say to me, how come it's always me that's initiating or something mm-hmm. like that? Sometimes right, they, right. they feel that. She's uh, never ready. She's, she's never right. in the mood. Yeah, it takes her a long time. You know, why yeah. the, You know why can't we just get to it? You know, mm-hmm. I've been nice to her. We went out to dinner. We had a glass of wine I or took two. the trash out, for <laughs> heaven's sakes. Yeah, she should just, definitely want to be bent over well, and you know, taken you know, from behind. I showed right? her my penis. Uh-huh. I mean, come on. I sent her a picture of it (laughs) on the phone. (laughs) But I love my job because I just get to explain that. And, you know, he goes, oh, my God. And she goes, oh, my God. And they stop doing that old dance and they Mm -hmm. start changing it up, doing the sensate focus where it doesn't matter if you like it or you want to do it or you feel aroused or you don't feel aroused. You just do it and Mm -hmm. it it makes you feel less... uh, 
emotionally alienated from your partner and it lets you feel more comfortable and relaxed. And then it's touch. Touch is bonding. Mm-hmm. Bonding is relaxation and, and enough touching and you do it's become aroused. As well, yes. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So eventually, without any pressure, you get aroused. And so that's mm-hmm. why it works. Da da da. So it's a cool yeah. thing to yeah. know about and teach. Mm-hmm. What, what led you down this path? Well, it started with my last name. Uh, yeah. Pronounced, <laughs> pronounced Wiener when I was growing up. And so the Oscar Mayer jingle with all variations. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went off to college, I changed it to Weiner, the pronunciation. But uh, Because you were tired of being teased or you just felt it would teased. be a more professional yeah, no. sound? Or? Well, that too, but okay. that wasn't my main. My main reason was to stop people from doing the Oscar Mayer jingle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> With some dirty words thrown in. Right, right. And so uh, I and I was reinventing myself as well, mm-hmm. going off to college. That's a time in your life where you said, oh, who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. This is who I was. And you grew up in New York, correct? New Jersey. New Jersey. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And, and then you, did you uh, go to college in New Jersey as well? No. I went to college in Washington, D.C. Okay. And that is where I met my mentor and longtime friend who taught a human sexuality class that I attended, and he had just come back from a Masters and Johnson training program, Masters and Johnson, the people that mm-hmm. invented sex therapy. And so there it was, you know? And so with the last name Wiener, and here I am with Dr. McCarthy in his human sexuality mm-hmm. class. And- You were destined. And it was also, you know, the time of uh, women's movement and mm-hmm. uh, equal rights and uh, the moratorium. And it was a very exciting, drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it was a very free uh, culture at that time, having come from pretty repressed, you know, uh, background in, yeah. uh, uh, in the 50s uh, mentality. So- What an exciting an time for you. Yes. I mean, uh-huh. when you talk about you were going through a phase of reinvention, you- mm-hmm. You know, socially, the world was going through a phase of reinvention. Yes, it was. But, you know, here you had this mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. kind of instant understanding of who you were and where yeah. you wanted how to did be. Your, uh, how did your family or your parents react when you said you oh. wanted to be a sex therapist? Oh, my mother was so embarrassed. <laughs> she was so embarrassed. She told everyone I did. I headed the child sexual abuse program at Masters and Johnson as well as being mm. a sex therapist. And she told everyone I work with children. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. Gosh. She just wasn't very clear about what kind of but work. But later yeah. when she, I guess, let the cat out of the bag a little bit and people went, oh, Masters and Johnson. She was like, yes. Masters and Johnson, and she became then she more comfortable. Then she like, was proud. Before she was like, you but changed your name, was, and you're working with oh, sex therapy. Oh, Nobody uh-huh. can tell. Yes. My daughter. How, how long was Masters and Johnson an institution? Uh, let's see. It started in the 70s, uh, and it ended probably around 2000, I okay. think. Uh, he passed, uh, and then she did several years later. Okay. And it, you know, instead of uh, continuing it, Closed its doors, which was mm. a sad thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but a lot of a lot of stuff was learned and documented. Oh, yes. And well, now, like, how did you get connected to them? I mean, you were going to school well, in D.C. and they yes. were based here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. That's a good question. Yeah. So I uh, had gotten my bachelor's in psychology, uh, and I took two years off living in California, and. You know, taking odd jobs, working for the University of Berkeley as a typist and that sort of thing, uh, just to decide, you know, what did I want to do next? I knew I wanted to do counseling, but did I want to do 
which avenue? You right. know, did mm-hmm. I want to get a PhD in psychology or uh, go to a marriage and family institute? What was my avenue? And gosh, where was I going to get the money? So yeah. I found out that University of Missouri Columbia had a stipend program where you could uh, come get a two-year education, be paid a minimal amount of money, but enough to uh, live. Enough to live, and then you would owe the state two years to mm-hmm. pay back your obligation, working for a state uh, system. So anywhere, probation, hmm. parole, or okay. and at that time, which is good, it gives you some experience. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, you weren't yeah. you you worked for them and got paid for them, but because you didn't go and yes. work in a corporate environment, then right. you're whatever mm-hmm. the uh, right. scholarship or right. Or it was not on. terribly good pay, and it, it was a very difficult work. Very good and pay. I was a child welfare worker specializing in foster care. Okay. And when I was specializing in foster care, I started getting interested in. Uh, incest and child sexual abuse because I understood neglect and how that could happen. I understood, you know, if you were mentally ill or had a drug mm-hmm. or alcohol problem, you could beat your child or if that's what was done to you, I understood that. But I really didn't get the child sexual abuse and incest thing, especially because okay. a lot of them were decent people, uh, you know. And, and you were kid, encountering yes, seemed to be decent people? Yes. Is that what you're saying? And unlike the professionals who wanted, uh, you know, the, to separate the child forever, what the child usually wanted was... It was usually daddy, but not always. Fix daddy. <laughs> you know, in all other ways, he's good. So I became the director of the child sexual abuse program at Masters and Johnson. And across my desk as one of the, uh, uh, how I got that was working for the state of Missouri in child welfare. I looked over uh, proposals from people that wanted to provide counseling services to state child welfare as a trainer. That was one of my jobs. Okay. I became a trainer in child welfare. Uh, and so I saw that there was a proposal from Masters and Johnson for uh, providing services to incest and child sexual abuse uh, families, and I thought, how cool, they're doing it in California. This is Mm -hmm. a new uh, attempt to sort of screen out the people that can't be helped and try to help the people that can and be very cautious about it. So I sent them a letter, and I said, you know, dear Masters and Johnson, uh, I don't know, I I see you're starting a program. If you need someone, uh, I'm your gal. (laughs) And they gave me an immediate interview and voila. So in your, um, you know, in your research and your work, were there certain regions where um, incest and, you know, and all of that was more Mm -hmm. prevalent? Or, and are there other, are there certain factors where that becomes... Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I don't want to name places mm-hmm. and stigmatize further, but there are, you know, places in Missouri and Illinois and most, probably most states where okay. uh, there is a culture uh, that uh, being sexual with children is sort of something you uh, is more acceptable, how should we mm-hmm. say? There's less stigma associated mm-hmm. with it. So, you know, if you're in a community where you're a teenage girl and you're going like, well... Uh, your brother, I hate my brother, you know, he's, oh, he messing with you? Yeah, mine too. You know, where there's an acknowledgement that it happens. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's a little less stigmatizing. So, um, you know, it goes from family to family generally. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, you know, very common. Okay. So if it's in a situation in a community in a culture and it's not stigmatized, this is totally mm-hmm. off the wall here. 
we know that it's not good because mm-hmm. we're from cultures and areas that it's mm-hmm. not, it is definitely not acceptable. It is not mm-hmm. encouraged, mm-hmm. and it is um, criminal. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Um, do the do the children harm uh, emotionally by saying? Yo, your dad's not, or your brother's not supposed mm-hmm. to be doing that. I mean, have do we then? Are they then ostracized from their community? Or they, I, I'm just curious, like what what effects it has on on a, on the uh, the I'm gonna say the, the young girl, the teenage girl. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, boys. boys and boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when if the somebody from the state does come in, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know I sound like somebody from like Deliverance or something right now, <laughs> protecting my my community. But I'm just curious, like. What is that effect? Um, you know, like I didn't know it was bad, and now, mm-hmm. yeah, now it's what bad. Kind of shame, and or now mm-hmm. I, what are those feelings that are attached? Or you to that? brought all this, and you know, mm-hmm. you brought all this, um, this focus on us. Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean, what was yes. your your well? It's interesting. Uh, often it doesn't get reported until the family moves into, say, if it's from uh, outer Missouri, and they move into a community in which your brother, someone else's brother doesn't mess with them. Then they find out, oh, my family's different. And that's when the reports come, or at least that's mm-hmm. when the, when they realize, hey, not everybody's brother, blah, blah, blah. That's when the reports come or when it becomes really, really intolerable, you mm-hmm. know, uh, uh, to the child. Because what happens is they do break up the family and they feel terrible about it and they're blamed and not believed. And that's almost more traumatizing than what happened. And so they recant, they retract the story in order to go home. Mm, yeah. And so that's, you know, kind of heartbreaking. heartbreaking. So uh, what I see is adults that have difficulty with trust in intimate relationships, you know, in my practice. As, mm-hmm. as, as a result as of that kind of, of thing. Incest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah, or sexual abuse. It's very, you know, I hate to say it, you know, it's like, uh, I forget, 20% of women, and that's just you know, reports right. uh, in certain parts of the country. Interestingly, it's a higher percentage. Like in San Francisco, it's like 35% of women have been sexually really? abused, not necessarily incest or in the home, but raped or some other kind of um, sexual trauma. So, and, Okay, so do you think that's that could reported. be... That's reported. Well, that's reported, and that's, exactly. that's what I'm wondering. Like, is that, do you think that maybe that area people feel more comfortable reporting? Or... Or it's a good place to run away to, uh, you know, the right. ends of the earth sort right. of thing. I don't know. That would be an interesting question for a researcher mm-hmm. if there were money for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, Love you, to. do you have any idea what the statistics are in the state of Missouri? Like, I used not, to, but I, I, I really current. don't uh, currently. Yeah. I know that the rates for men and boys that are raped or molested, the reports are rising, rising, rising. So it used to be That's thought shocking. of as very... Uh, you know, seven percent, and now some reports are. You know, it's it's, it's in the le- high teens, perhaps. Wow! And that's still there's still Does a that big nationwide stigma. or in our state nationwide. nationwide. I don't, I don't okay. really. You have, don't have state specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's um, that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Had I known your questions, I would have prepared. Well, oh, we could ask no. Mr. Google. I mean, we're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's the thing about the conversation. Yeah. It goes where it goes. It goes yeah. yeah. Um, uh-huh. And uh, we just... Uh, it, it mm-hmm. just we're just naturally fun. curious. And okay. As soon as you start, you know, it's like yeah. fascinating. So, so. I got to tell you, working at Masters and Johnson was incredible at the time. Yeah. Uh, there were people, there weren't very many options for people. So people from all over the world flew in to see Dr. Masters. And I got to be a co-therapist with him. Mm-hmm. They always had a man and a woman therapist. So what was that like? Uh, 
Well, it was fascinating. And, you know, it, it made you be okay because if you missed something, you had a buddy that would, you know, now say he, what needed to be said or intervene in a way that you would maybe miss. So as a novice, it was very, um, how should we say, it calmed you down to be in the room with him. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was not a therapist, but he was a fabulous educator about sexuality. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, was he, when you were having these uh, co-counseling sessions, were, were, did you feel, um, did he make you feel as an equal to him or was he, oh no, you are definitely the, the, the student here and I'm the, the master. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was the master, okay. Bill Masters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, I, we had a fond relationship with one another. Okay. And sometimes in therapy, he'd say something I disagreed with and I'd find a way to counter it in a really polite way. And then he'd counter me. Sometimes we did that, but uh -huh. not often. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And were you working with families and the, with the, the child sexual abuse thing or just mm -hmm. any type of counseling? Uh, at that time, I was director of three programs, the child sexual abuse program and uh, uh, director of training and workshops. Not, and then I was uh, a research and clinical associate. So I did therapy with sex, sexual dysfunctions, you know, uh, erectile dysfunction, women that couldn't orgasm, uh, people that... Uh, ejaculated too rapidly. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, the whole slew of sexual difficulties, uh, people that were uh, gay, recognized that they were gay and wanted help coming out mm -hmm. uh, to their spouse. Uh, you know, How all many kinds years of things. did you work for them? Five years. That's a lot of, mm -hmm. that's a lot of experience to yes. gain in that yes. short amount yes. of time. And he was a super workaholic and we worked, uh, we got... Uh, we would see a couple, they came in and they would be seen for two weeks, which the first weekend you definitely see them. And if they made enough progress, you wouldn't see them for the second weekend, but you could never plan anything because, you know, you didn't know. <laughs> okay. Well, was his mantra, you know, people have sex 24-7, we should be working 24-7, they're going to yes. need us. <laughs> One of the reasons I left is a, a, a client, a couple, uh, two uh, attorneys had a low desire in their marriage. And, you know, I was saying, well, of course, you're working all the time. And uh, one of the attorneys said, excuse me, um, you're here on Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, <laughs> Tuesdays. Are you married? I see that you're wearing a, a wedding band. So isn't that the pot calling the kettle? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, she's right. I work too much. So it was time. Mm -hmm. I, I learned what I could learn, which was a, a lot, an yeah. incredible amount. And yeah. um, uh moved on to my own practice. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take a quick break mm -hmm. right here, mm -hmm. and then we come back, we'll talk okay. about, you know, post-Masters and Johnson okay. and, and your All life right. here in St. Louis. Okay. All right? Sure okay, enough. well, we'll be right back. Okay. We refreshed those glasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. we did. Michelle, what are your? Do you have any? You know, any? I um, I I drank um, <coughs> a few more sips of it. 
Um, I, mm. I, I reflected and I said, I really want to like this wine. Um, it's just not, but it's not, not it's just not you. doing anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so I'm, mm. I'm going to kind of say it's still the pair of it's, panties that you found at the bottom of the drawer. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry guys out there. I am enjoying this. I, I, but I really like earthy wines. I, so, I, you, I yeah. don't think there's a wine you have drank on the show that you haven't liked. Mm. There's some that haven't been my favorite, but yeah. I, there's I haven't had any that I'm like you know. I mean, I'm going to finish it because I'm I'm a team player, right, right? You know, I'm I'm there to help out and make those sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's how I'm feeling about it. But hey, you know, I think that's the beauty about mm-hmm. wine. There's so much out there. Mm-hmm. I don't have mm-hmm. to like every single one, mm-hmm. and uh, so that uh, there's wine for other people to drink. It's true. Because otherwise I'd have it all. <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? If it has, it, has it changed at all? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a little less um, dry to me mm-hmm. uh, with this glass. Yeah, the tannins I'm, have rounded out mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I hold it in my mouth a little longer before I swallow it. So mm-hmm. I think that helps somehow improve its taste to my palate. Good. I don't know. Yeah. 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 All right. So uh, prior to the break, we were talking about your time working with Masters and Johnson. Mm -hmm. And uh, since, like, when you left them, you went into private practice yourself. Mm -hmm. Did Mm -hmm. you, at that point in time, focus in on the Sensate sensate touch then? No, uh, I did private practice and uh, taught a little bit uh, at uh, one of the universities in town and had a family. And took some time for family. And when my son was pretty much raised in, in high school met back up with a colleague of mine that I had been in training with and worked with at Masters and Johnson, uh, Dr. Constance Avery-Clark, and her kids were a little more raised as well, and I proposed that we write this book because I had uh, been working for a university and in researching uh, for my human sexuality class, I looked up what the definition of sensate focus was, and it was not what we had learned mm. in 19, I won't say. Well, it was in the 1900s. 19s. It was in the 19s, right? Yes. <laughs> not the 2019s, right, but the 19s. Yes. And so uh, she agreed, and we spent uh, a year or so writing this, collaborating, writing this book, which is... Uh, I'm a very, very proud to say yeah. is selling well and being utilized by professionals and making a difference. people That's and great. making a difference. So mm-hmm. can you give me an example of like, what is, what is something that someone can practice that is a sensei technique? Like how can okay. we help people understand what mm-hmm. this really is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So pretty much what I get from people is that every time they touch, uh, and if it's anything besides maybe a little peck on the lips, then, you know, we're going in for the kill. Totally. Okay. <laughs> yes. Oh my so gosh. So couples stop, you know, the one that has the lower sex drive feels pressured. So they stop cuddling as much and mm-hmm. they stop uh, hugging, they stop, stop. hugging mm-hmm. and they stop teasing one another so much. And then they stop going out and then they stop talking and mm-hmm. they just become emotionally and physically alienated from each other. And this technique where in which you schedule a time to touch and you touch each other head to toe, front to back, uh, avoiding the breast and genital area, not trying to touch. Here's the difference. Not trying to touch in a way that's going to pleasure the partner, but as a mindfulness exercise where okay. you're touching focused on your experience of temperature, texture, and pressure. As the as the receiver or as the active participant Both. of the touch? Okay. Uh-huh. So you're experiencing the touch not 
to pleasure the other person or to act like you're being pleasured for the other person's mm-hmm. gratification. I like to say um, uh, actually turning on and being able to be aroused and being able to be orgasmic is about being in your body with your head turned off. And every time you're distracted to turn your attention back to your body through somatic experience and with a, a brain that's turned off, that's the natural flow that leads to arousal and sexual function. And learning how to do that is learning how to turn off your brain. Because everything we do in life, we do with the front part of our brain. We achieve everything. And sex is the one thing you can't achieve by working at it. Well, what about, how does that, um, that that seems contrary to couples who practice role play and fantasy and things like that, which are to stimulate the imagination to stimulate arousal in a different way. So how Uh does that, how do you justify right. one versus the other mm-hmm. are they both just as valid mm-hmm. or well usually the couples that are uh suggesting play uh mm-hmm. and alternative uh sexual activities that are a bit of a fantasy uh they have been able to talk to each other about they the haven't. sexual relationship beginning to feel kind of stale or right. being problematic and so they uh talk to each other about what might spice it up the couples i often see have waited too long spoken too little and uh, created protective barriers and then, you know, severe hurt and rejected feelings. Uh, And, you know, instead of uh, sexual interaction being a joyous thing or a fun thing, Mm-hmm. It's become something pretty aversive or pretty hurtful. So, so this I think they're just like they that even came to a sex therapist at that point because I would right. think that they would just be mm-hmm. like calling it quits and saying, you know, bye bye. I guess some do, and some yeah. say, you know, maybe we should give it a shot. We used to have something going on, yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe we can get it back. And especially, it happens when you you see your kids are launching if you've had children, mm-hmm. and you see them launching, and you kind of turn to each other, and it's been sort of family intimacy. And then you look at each other and go, do we still have it? Are we, you know, or have we lost it? Yeah. And so part of me would question, how do you know as a couple if you're in need of sex therapy versus, you know, an emotional therapist? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a super good question. And uh, for a lot of couples, communication and quality time together is also a problem. So going to a regular marriage a therapist can absolutely help with those issues, but most marriage therapists are not trained nor comfortable mm-hmm. talking about sexuality, which is kind of sad because yeah. it's one hand in the other. Right. So uh, do they re- do? Uh, they refer them. Th- okay. Mm-hmm. They refer. They refer uh, when they've tried what they know and it hasn't worked well. They refer to somebody who specializes. So people say, uh, do we, "Should we see a marriage counselor and you?" I said, "Well, I really don't know how to." put the genitals together if I can't get the hearts and minds together. So I do it all. <laughs> That's a great statement. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, and uh, what has been like the the hardest part of working with couples like that? I mean, it's more or more specifically challenging mm-hmm. for you as as a practitioner. Oh my, you know, there's every flavor of person with every kind of uh, problem or issue and they're People that generally are uh, healthy, uh, they have generally healthy relationships, they come, they are able to uh, do the sensate focus, they get uh, uh, where they want to go, they wave goodbye, they send me pictures of their children, you know, if they should have them. Uh, obviously not everyone chooses that. But And then there are those that are, you know, rather challenging people. Yeah. 
people that have had uh, difficulties with attachment, people that have had difficulties with trauma. Uh, you know, if they have a Virginia Woolf marriage, it's going to be a while before we, you know, mm -hmm. uh, feel comfortable enough to take our clothes off and be vulnerable with each other. So You'll sure. have to describe what a Virginia Woolf marriage is. Uh, maybe it's not Virginia Woolf. Uh, who's afraid of? Right. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah. Right? Oh, I love they that were, movie. Uh, the nastiest to, oh. to each other. Okay. Elizabeth Taylor, Bur Taylor uh -huh. Tim Burton. I mean, or not Tim Burton. As I remember. Uh, Richard Burton. Uh, Richard Burton. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. my so God. So in, in, in the uh -huh. relationship that has been particularly nasty and yes. hateful towards each other. Yeah. We have yeah. to work on that first. Yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Why would so you So those are the more, the you know, difficult uh, situations. Yeah. For people that have had really terrible childhoods, because really um, relating to another human being uh, is extremely difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people can manage to relate to more than one mm -hmm. love. I think there are all kinds of flavors for, you know, what we're wired for and what our uh, lifestyle is. But... Um, I think uh, any kind of intimate relationship that isn't a parent-child uh, is more difficult to maintain, takes more work. Well, mm -hmm. I'm wondering, um, and I, I'm just trying to get some free therapy here. Uh, <laughs> is it because that person who's not your child can actually like reject you in the end? They can say, not that, mm, no, I'm done. When your child, you know, they're always will be your child. You may not have like the strongest relationship, but they are always mm -hmm. your child. You're mm -hmm. always connected to them in some way. Mm -hmm. So when, so that to me, the difference of the parent child bond versus like, you know, relationships, mm -hmm. uh, man, woman, man, man, woman, mm -hmm. woman, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, and how do you, how do you be that vulnerable mm -hmm. to somebody else like that? Well, it's interesting. When uh, when a child is born, oxytocin bonds you to that child. Mm -hmm. There's a brain chemical that's admitted. Uh, and it's the same brain chemical that's admitted when you make love with your partner or have an orgasm really? by yourself. Really? I didn't yourself. know that. Yeah. So uh, bonding happens over sex. <laughs> and yeah. so if you're not having sex, then you're not maintaining that bond. the bonding. Right. Whereas for whatever reason, the oxytocin that was admitted at the time you had a child, which also uh, the father of the child or the other parents who are nurturing that child in that pregnancy uh, are bonded as well. It's not just biologic. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's, but if you are not maintaining that connection exactly. as, as a, yeah. within a relationship. Yeah. Now don't go out there guys and say, see honey, we're supposed to have sex six times a week to maintain <laughs> our bond. Please don't hear me say that. Okay. Right. If one is good, six or better. Don't. Okay. So is it the <laughs> orgasm that releases that? Yes. Uh huh. So mm -hmm. if you're not with a partner and mm -hmm. you're having an orgasm, are you mm -hmm. still getting a yeah. hit of that? Yeah. That feel good dopamine, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. chemical stuff in your brain going on. Yeah. I, have the, I have the best relaxation. relationship with myself. I, I am just, me, me and myself, we are like mm -hmm. so tight. Like, we talk to each other. Mm -hmm. We go to movies. You're bonded. We're bonded. <laughs> Those yeah. are kind of wine I like to drink. You love your hand or I whatever. <laughs> I have your Amazon pillow. on, you know, really? we, we shop together. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So that's why you can fall out of love with someone. 
you know. But you right. can't have sex with someone you don't feel you can trust and be open and free with. So I think it's not just really about sex. Point. It's no, about you, you can in have and sex. out of the bedroom. You can stuff. have sex. You said you can have sex with somebody you don't trust. Uh, some people only have sex with people they don't right, trust. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I, uh-huh. I heard you correctly because yes. I did. I wanted to make. But sure. for most people, there needs to be an ability to be vulnerable in order to be that abandoned if you would, Mm -hmm. that inside their own head. Well, right, but also sometimes there's a hope, right? You're having Mm -hmm. sex with somebody because you hope they are going to end up being that person that you want to be vulnerable with. Mm -hmm. And then then they don't, Mm -hmm. and then that shuts you down a little bit. So Mm -hmm. then the next person comes along, and you're like, well, okay. Mm -hmm. And then over time... There can be bruising, yes. Mm -hmm. So So, do you help uh, people recover from that? Yes. So it's not necessarily... Um, you have to be in, uh, in a relationship to come sit to Correct. see a sex Correct. I see individuals, individuals and couples. Okay. So, and triads occasionally. Oh, that would be yes. interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, when people are in open relationships like mm-hmm. that. There's that a, polyamory is becoming much more yes. discussed. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I can see that that... I, mm-hmm. I yeah, there's a lot of people that are, that. you know, surprisingly mainstream appearing mm-hmm. that are considering or delving or exploring whether that will help them. Usually right. one with a much higher sex drive with a partner they super love, mm-hmm. but who isn't really interested as much or in whatever the other person might be interested in exploring. So Maybe it's an issue for the sensei. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, yes. I, I definitely can relate to that. I, I was married uh, before and... You know, I definitely when you talked about somebody in that relation in a relationship who would maybe coil because you know the spouse would come home and want a kiss or a hug or whatever, it totally meant, oh, mm-hmm. I got a kiss, I got a hug, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. and um, much like the story of the rats you were talking mm-hmm. about, like. One kiss, one hug yeah. doesn't get me there. Yes. You know, like yes. there needs yeah. to be a little more yes. than that. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question is, I'm sure that this is relatively common. Oh, yeah. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. what would you advise to a couple who is experiencing mm-hmm. that? Where, yes. you know, I'm not, you know, honey, slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, Absolutely. somebody's getting afraid to hug their partner. Right. Yeah, exactly. So... Uh, you bring up a, a great point. Men are aroused visually, so the moment she takes off the bra or mm-hmm. the partner, uh, male partner pulls down his pants, there is arousal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but women take 20 minutes of tactile touching before they're where a man is at the drop of a bra. So I believe that. So there is a total wow. difference in male-female generally. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. So... Uh, it's helpful. And that's where my rat story comes in very helpfully. Yeah. Okay. I always knew you were a rat. I called you a rat the whole time. I always knew you were a rat. (laughs) But here's another wild thing that I say, and that is the one with the lower drive gets to mess around a little bit and see if, you know, he or she can up their interest. And if not, the one with the lower drive gets to choose. Honey, you know, I'm done. You can take care of yourself, but please do that in private or... Yes, darling, I'll hold you and play with your hair while you take care of yourself, or I'll help you in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or we can have, you know, intromission, intercourse, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as long as I don't have to be whoop-de-doo, uh, mm-hmm. and or you can be hard somehow. Uh, or, yeah, baby, let me join the party. So that the one with the lower drive never feels pinned with a kiss, that means you have to have intercourse. 
like it and want it and well, be responsive to it. Mm-hmm. So let me uh, flip back to like, where does it, how do you teach a man mm-hmm. to, and possibly, you know, starting at the, at the teenage level, right? Mm-hmm. A kiss doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean penetration, oh, right? Like how do you control uh-huh. those? How, well, because good sex gonna, education, kids right, should right. know this. But we don't have good sex education. No. Uh, we don't have because, anything. Because sex but, is considered wrong. Mm-hmm. In sex education classes, mm-hmm. it's all about prevention. Mm-hmm. Of pregnancy. Not right. 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 It's not, not about pleasure. Right. Right. Wouldn't it be great knowing that, you know, uh, 100 years ago people married at 15 and now it's, you know, 25. Mm-hmm. And are you supposed to be celibate, celibate all that time? You know, it's just really right. not from Practical. my perspective. Uh, realistic, right? Uh, and some of the people I see that are really torn are the people that are uh, identify as people who really, for religious reasons, wanted to wait until they were married uh, and didn't, and struggle a lot with guilt and uh, then develop, you know, sexual. Oh, well, I'm problems. gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. say something pretty blasphemous right now. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't wait till marriage. <laughs> just put it out there. I'm just putting it out there. I, I doubt he would have let himself, you know, uh-huh. be crucified uh-huh. like that if he had been well, a virgin. Uh-huh. You know. So if that if that's all you needed to hear was for mm-hmm. me to tell you that Jesus did not wait. I think you've just alienated most of St. Louis. I, yeah, there goes there goes our listenership. Goes you know, I talk I talk truth Gone. to power. You know, <laughs> if you can't handle this, uh-huh. then you probably don't need to listen to yeah. clitorally speaking. Exactly. You know, you're right. They probably would not tune in. <laughs> they probably wouldn't. They'd look at our our, t- our episode and go, huh, or the title of our show and go, oh, I, 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 don't, mm. I don't have a clitoris. Mm. <laughs> I don't need what. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, some people they have that they have an ideal. Yes, and um, mm-hmm. and I, I remember my grandmother said something to me very wise, uh, and it was coded. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother my grandmother's passed away. Uh, gosh, 11, 12 years ago. But uh, her thing was, you need to find out if he has a good back. Oh, <laughs> oh. You know, because you know he has to be strong yeah. with the family and That's take care of things. Progressive grandma, you know, but she wasn't saying, you know, she wasn't saying go out and do go it. Go out and have you just you size him up. Though. Does he have a good back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. <laughs> okay, grandma. All right, I'll go check out. Okay, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. I, yeah. I, I, I did not come from a family that spoke about sex and sexuality. And my mother and aunt, they were very close and. I said, well, how, didn't you ever feel anything for sex? And they very proudly said, never. <laughs> oh, my god! Very gosh. proud. <laughs> never did they feel anything. Oh. And here's my aunt petting the cat. Right. Like this. Yes. Okay. Caressing the Caressing cat. Caressing the cat. <laughs> yeah. You know, but good ladies didn't do that. You know, the number one voluntary um, surgery at the turn of the century in London and New York was clitorectomies. Removal. No. Yes. This was because voluntary? Let, vo- if you felt something during sex and you were a good woman, you often went and had your clitoris removed in the hope oh. that you wouldn't feel anything. Yes. That is such a yes. mind fuck that they yes. had. Yes, oh. yes. Oh and good God. husbands so. didn't approach their wives for sex oh. until they just couldn't help themselves and the wives, you know, kind of... Relented, It was getting fainted. over, get it over with. It was just a complete perfunctory thing. Uh, such repression. It's so sad. I'm sh- there were a lot of women, I'm sure, mm. who... Uh, uh, let themselves over into, you know, enjoying their sexuality. 
Because as I like to say, God wouldn't have invented a clitoris just for pleasure if he didn't want us to enjoy it. Enjoy it. it. Well, Mm -hmm. and let's face it, it actually helps aid in, um, you know... In Bonding. bringing, yeah. well, but also bringing the sperm mm-hmm. um, into the body sure. deeper, right? Uh-huh. So like, there there's, there's yeah. other, mm-hmm. you know, there's benefits to yeah. the fe- mm-hmm. a female orgasm. I think it was so, God's way of making up for the fact that we had to carry the babies. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, right? you can have multiple uh, orgasms. Uh, We're going to go ahead. Yes. I'm going to give you this uh-huh. little button. It's going to take care uh-huh. of you whenever you need it. Uh-huh. And, it's, and it's clean and discreet, yes. right? So yes. speaking of the little button, is mm-hmm. that all they removed during the clitorectomies or did they actually remove the whole... So far as I know, it's just yeah. the clitoris. And other cultures uh, where women were supposed to be pure, yeah. uh, they do everything from nicking the clitoris to removing <sighs> the clitoris and the inner and outer lips oh. and uh, fusing the labia and leaving only just a little tiny hole through which to menstruate and urinate. Uh. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's oh. a, such a fear Terrible. of women enjoying sex. Mm-hmm. But you know what's interesting? I read a book uh, by uh, an anthropologist who uh, was in North Africa where, and studied, uh, and women were still orgasmic. And they would still initiate with, sex sometimes, yes. Even with uh-huh. that. Uh, because the clitoris is yeah. expensive. It goes, yeah, it goes in, a lot of places within, you don't think about. Yeah. You know, it goes into the belly. It goes down the inner thigh. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a much bigger organ with mm-hmm. a lot more reach. So even though you remove the clitoris, even the tissue that's left, as scarred as it is, rubbing the mons area or the belly or whatever. Can, can bring some pleasure. And, you know, uh, a lot of women can have a think-off. They can not be touched. And not touch themselves and can become orgasmic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's we impressive. We are very impressive. <laughs> yeah. You know, if only we get wound up. You know. Yeah. We just need we to, have to, to go to our little cubby and relax and, relaxed and not, yeah, yes. and love it up a little bit. <laughs> have a little wine. Uh-huh. Light the candles. Yeah. Yes. And no Warming pressure. Us. See, the sensate right. focus yes. reduces the expectation and the pressure. And once that happens, it allows natural sexual responsivity, natural arousal. Plus, if you say you can't, even if you get aroused, don't do anything with it, it's like mimicking teenagehood, right? right. Isn't it? When, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Right. you have a lot of touching and, you know, nothing could come of it, so it builds sexual tension. Mm-hmm. Right. And you say can't, of course. Right. Uh, and so it, it's a very effective tool for people that have fallen away or people that have had sexual dysfunctions. They probably need to see a specialist, but people who just have felt pressured into having no desire, can sometimes recapture their desire on their own just by doing this touching that is non-breast and genital touching and switch for five to 15 minutes, two to three times a week. That's the prescription. Wow. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to Wow. Like brushing your teeth at first, it's okay. You know. Well, mm-hmm. it'd be nice because I remember um, <laughs> getting so irritated at my ex, well, when we were married, but mm-hmm. we've been divorced for a long time. I would, could remember being like in the kitchen and he'd come walking in and just like grab uh-huh. my boobs. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like... Really? Uh-huh. And really? usually yeah. it like, comes like, with some sort of Hong Kong noise or yeah, something like that yeah, like, too. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's like I, I didn't, I didn't ask you to come in here and grab my boobs. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, you know, they were there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> if right. I had a nickel for every time mm-hmm. I heard that story, I'd be a multi-billionaire. Well, and here's the so thing: so what though, is it? Why did where because where men would, would love it? They yes. would love it if you yes. came in and yes. grabbed their junk. Yeah, they, they would just be don't like, understand why it's offensive. And I say you have to work your way in from the fingertips into the torso and from the head in, you know, that you have to work your way in. You don't start with the genitals, with the breasts, the you know. Uh-huh. Oh, there they are. <laughs> 
<laughs> and don't make those sound effects, guys. <laughs> I mean, don't. come on. That's about as yeah. bad as if you started going beep, 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 when she's like you know, coming in the room. Like, you just killed it. Well, I think right. it also has a little to do with anxiety about approaching you and anxiety about saying something. Mm-hmm. If you could say something like, hey, I really want you lately, you know, uh, let me know when you're in the mood or how I might get you in the mood. Mm-hmm. That would well, be probably a lot different. I think, I think they, if they ever asked, how, uh-huh. how might I get you in the mood? How can I help you get in that, the mood? That's, mm-hmm. that, would be, that would be definitely yeah. a wow. step dance in the living room. I mean, that's just making the whoosh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. Me in the mood. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> <laughs> We've been married 45 years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> never asked me. My job is easy. I have easy you have the advice. Best job. And, you know, they might have heard it, but they don't necessarily do it until they have to come see me. And then yeah. it's like, okay, we're going to follow her instructions because, you know, she... she clearly left, a, left clearly her own we, devices Yeah, we, we have not failed. been able to figure this out on our own. <laughs> so maybe we should try something different, you know? You're probably, uh-huh. you're probably the sex therapist or the, the therapist that mm-hmm. when couples are given homework, they don't mind, mm-hmm. you know? When you're having oh, like yeah. emotional therapy, really? Mm-hmm. I have to write a letter. Well, <laughs> the homework, the homework is emotional, and it does bring stuff up. Yeah, you know about mm-hmm. trust and betrayal and forgiveness and yeah. uh, old resentments and you know things that have to be processed and let go of or discussed. You know, yeah. and let go of. And let go of. Yeah. So are Mm -hmm. you taking new patients? Is it uh, easy Uh to... So I'm sure our our listeners in St. Louis Mm -hmm. are probably waiting right now to uh, (laughs) to look up on 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 their phones. But anyway, um, I know your website is sextherapiststlouis.com, and that's Mm -hmm. sex therapist in St. Louis is all spelled out, no capital letters, Mm -hmm. no no punctuation or anything like that, but it's sextherapiststlouis.com. And uh, that you guys can get connected to um, Linda. Dr. Linda yeah, here. Thank you so yes. much for sharing wonderful. your prescription thank with you us for today. A wonderful conversation yes. with friends. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to having more wine with you. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.